Hello and welcome to the St. Emily's podcast. I'm Simon Carley. And I'm Natalie May. And you're not Ian Beardsall, who normally does a podcast with me, but that's because today we're not doing our regular monthly roundup of the best of the blog. Uh, we're doing something which is um, a strong theme across St. Emlyn's over many years. We're going to delve a little bit more into the concepts around feedback and how that works in hospital medicine. Well, and actually in pre-hospital care in all forms of clinical practice, because we have found, haven't we, Natalie, over the years that feedback is such an important thing, but also quite remarkably easy to get wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very emotive uh, area of medical education. People have very strong feelings, even when they hear the word feedback, they often have a very visceral reaction. And there's a there's a lot of good reasons for that. Uh, so we are interested in how good feedback works and whether we can learn to be better at both giving it and receiving it. It's something we've talked about a lot over the last couple of years. So on the other side, one of the things that we've always said is that feedback is actually essential to being a good clinician. I've strongly advocated the concepts around peer feedback and and we've always felt that we, in everything we do, you know, the St. Emmons team do a lot of presentations. And one of the reasons why I think we do our presentations well is because we've been really rigorous about getting feedback. And we like to apply that in our clinical practice as well. But it's difficult. Yeah, it really is. I think we like to live in a world where we believe certain things about ourselves. And there's a whole load of, sort of cognitive science around the things that we need to believe to feel safe. And feedback can threaten that. But it's really important for us in our clinical care to know where we are, what we're doing, what the care that we deliver actually looks like to other people. Otherwise, we don't have any power to change it. So we're going to talk today about feedback, um, particularly within hospital settings, between the emergency department, intensive care, but applicable to other specialties as well. What prompted you to to get on the phone and say, Simon, we need to, we need to bring ourselves up to speed with feedback again? So there was, this was a post from an emergency medicine group uh, on Facebook that is based in Australia. Um, but it was a, a colleague who works across both both emergency medicine and intensive care, who had a, a question. So I'll set the scene for you in a, a bit more theoretical way than uh, that clinician set it, and then we can talk around how we might approach this situation, because I thought it was really interesting and there was loads of stuff that immediately jumped into my mind, and I really want to hear your perspective on it as well. So imagine that you are a dual accredited specialist in emergency medicine and intensive care medicine, and you're approached by an intensive care registrar who wants to debrief about multiple recent recess cases that have happened in the emergency department on their run of night shifts, and they feel that those cases were not well managed. Should you feedback to the emergency department what is said or should you support that registrar and just move on uh, and this clinician really wanted to know how to approach that conversation and what to take out of it and this is not an uncommon situation at all is it this happens quite a lot in practice so one of the things we've done in our department recently is have regular meetings with people coming off the night shifts so when they've finished a block of nights get that group of doctors together for a very short period of time, um, free food, a bit of extra sort of relaxation time and find out what their experiences are. And this kind of thing where I've had several things that have gone on in the last three, four nights comes out and they want to a degree to hear, have that story heard and for things to change. But the mechanism about how we do that is actually very complicated. And I think what you're describing is very much looking after the trainees within your own department. But what I found really interesting about this situation was working across those dual roles. But it's something that we see even if we only work in one role, we may get somebody from another specialty who we've got a good relationship with who wants to come and feedback about 
the trainees in our department. Um, and it, it can happen between pre-hospital medicine and emergency medicine, where the specialties that I work, or between education and emergency medicine, or those inpatient specialties. So it is something that we we come up with. And and I think we it would be really helpful to not be blindsided by that. It's it's a bit different because I think for, from my mind, it immediately makes me defensive about my the trainees that I feel responsible for. But there's something golden in those opportunities. One of the things that you and I have talked about in, previously when we've run uh, feedback workshops is this idea of wrong spotting and right spotting. So can you explain a little bit about what that means? So wrong spotting and right spotting is, is fascinating. We do a little exercise, don't we, where we send somebody a um, an email complaining about things in their service. And the natural reaction when you hear any form of complaint or any sort of criticism is to go through and find the elements within that conversation or within that letter or within that email, which you don't agree with and focus on those things. So you delve down into the things which are wrong and focus on that and ignore the other stuff. And what we're not very good at we're very good at wrong spotting. What we're not very good at is right spotting, which is where we actually look at the what's been said and say, well, actually, could this person be right? Is their perspective correct? Or is their perspective actually correct from where they're looking from? Because we've got to recognize that in many aspects of our clinical practice, how something looks depends on the, the lens that you're using and the sort of the organization, the culture that you're working, in, which might be very different between individuals and in particular between specialties. So one of the examples is um, that we used in the past was um, a patient who was 95 years old who came in, who was basically dying at the end of a, a, a AAA and the complaint was that it was sent to the vascular surgeons. And we went, oh, this causes vascular surgeons. It's a AAA. It's got to go to vascular. And actually, that's the wrong spotting. The right spotting is, well, actually, a 95-year-old who's in the um, terminal hours of their life is being sent to a vascular ward, which is geared towards actually active management as opposed to palliative care, the right place to go. And so by changing those things around, looking for the wrong spotting, right spotting, you might get a better perspective of how the world looks. And do you think there's some asymmetry as well that changes with time? Is it a, is it a, a, a constant that, that those right spotting and wrong spotting things exist in, in the same frame at every point in time? Oh, well, this is the curse of emergency medicine and pre-hospital care, isn't it? And that we make our decisions at the point when we make our decisions, which is almost inevitably a point in time when we don't have the information that we would like. And that later on, when more information is available um, and people looking back with the retrospectoscope, it can look very different. And so what might look right or wrong in time points is very different. And of course, these people who may be having the conversations between specialties or between individuals will have those different perspectives because they both made their decisions about the same patient at different points in that cycle. Yeah. And I, I had a conversation at work in the last week with one of our brand new junior doctors who was a little bit upset that a patient that she had looked after and assessed had become very sick and ended up on intensive care. Um, and I had to kind of say to her, that's not, that's not a failure. You didn't send this patient home. You admitted the patient under an appropriate team. And when they got sick, they were already having a first line of treatment that was appropriate and they were in the right place. So they were able to have their care escalated appropriately. And so there is a huge amount of emotion around 
these kind of decision making, but we can do ourselves a real disservice when we use that retrospectoscope in, in its entirety and we fail to take account of the fact that not everything is completely apparent at every stage of disease. And something that you've talked about previously at conferences is how that those absent clinical signs really give our, our inpatient colleagues the the powerful hindsight bias to view our decision making through. And that's a little bit unfair because what we do is work in that uh, evidence light zone and even more so in pre-hospital medicine. Yes, as I'm finding um, as I start my pre-hospital career, a very um, long number of years. There's a, there's a bit of an elephant in the room on this one as well, if we're going to start thinking about motivations and ideas around feedback. And that's that, what is the motivation of an individual who says, I want to give feedback about this? Because there's sometimes an assumption that that's entirely an altruistic, neutral, unemotional, um, completely, absolutely normal thing to do. And I'm not sure that that's always the case when I've interacted with people. Yeah, I agree. And I think the, one of the first starting points that I would take for this whole situation would be to try to work out what it is that this person who's coming to offer feedback actually wants out of this situation. And ideally to be able to to enable them to articulate that by saying something like, I, I really want to help you to get the most out of this conversation. What are you hoping is going to be the outcome? Do you want to share your thoughts and reflections on a difficult night? Do you have a specific issue that you want to have addressed do you want to talk it through? And then we can ask this question again at the end. And hopefully our, like our, our trainees are so smart and very self-aware and hopefully they're going to be able to at least give us an idea of what they want before they start. But that's going to be helpful in where we take the conversation and probably the way we approach it as well, I would think. Yeah. And we've used in the past, something I picked up from you in workshops is the, the four-point checklist about whether or not to get feedback at all, which we normally use for ourselves about whether or not we are going to choose to give feedback. Uh, do you just want to remind us of those um, elements? Yeah, so there's four questions to ask yourself before you start giving feedback to someone. Uh, and the first is, is this necessary? Is this something that actually this person needs to have feedback about? Is it a, a clinical issue that they need to improve or is it just something that really is my personal bugbear and I really want to vent about it? Um, so it's important to nail down that issue. Is this something that needs feedback? Is this the right time? So not when they've just finished their night shift. Don't call them in when they're tired. Don't call them in at the start of a night shift when they're then going to go and try to work for 12 hours completely distracted. Um, is this the right place? So not on the uh, shop floor in the emergency department somewhere that it's private. Uh, and um, am I in the right frame of mind? Am I feeling like I can be focused towards what that person needs? Because in these situations, the feedback that we're giving is all about what the learner needs. And we often forget that and we try to frame it from what we need. I need to give you some feedback because I want you to change. But actually, it's all about what the learner needs. I need to give you the tools and the information that you need to develop yourself. And I want to help you to develop yourself. So it's it's a four, four key questions. Is this necessary? Is this the right time? Is this the right place? And am I in the right frame of mind? And something that you've suggested for this particular situation, because it's not that typical relationship between us as the senior doctor giving some feedback to the junior doctor or to one of our colleagues, am I the right person in this situation of bridging two different departments? Is this, am I the right person to bring this issue to, or should I direct this intensive care registrar to 
the head of department, for example? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. And, and one of the things I was thinking about when we were putting this together is whether or not, if you're the person who's receiving and you're cognizant about all of these issues, whether or not you can actually take some of those four, four and a half questions and actually use those to decide whether or not this is the right time, the right place, and the right people. And, and maybe there is always sometimes the, the option to um, postpone or to deflect or to rearrange or do something like that. But l- let's say that's not going to happen um, here. And we, we've, we've got through those um, questions and the answers have been yes, we, we think it's um, okay. What, what, what's your next sort of move with this sort of um, this sort of scenario? How, how would you approach this initially? So I think in my mind, if we're sitting down with this person um, and we've established that they want to give us something important that they think the department might want to change rather than just venting about how terrible their nights were for a variety of reasons, uh, or maybe a bit of both, then it can also be helpful to facilitate them to give a, give the distinction between what kind of feedback they would like to give. So the, the book that we always reference when we're talking about feedback in our workshops is um, Thanks for the Feedback. Um, which we can put in a show note reference. Um, but it talks about three different kinds of feedback, appreciation, coaching, and evaluation. Now, I don't think this is going to be appreciation. I think we've already set the scene that this person's not going to come and just generally make everybody feel good about what's going on. But we've already sort of decided that they're probably not going to want to just vent. Um, if they do, then and they're able to say, actually, yeah, I just had a really terrible run of lights. And we can absolutely provide lots of empathy, focus on their wellness, give them some wellness resources, and consider whether we actually need to pass any of what they're telling us on, other than perhaps higher responsibilities for issues in their training or issues in their supervision or whatever is coming out from there. If they're talking about coaching, so identification of like teaching and learning moments and opportunities for the department, well, great. Okay. That's that's probably what the crux of what's going to happen here. And we, we want to frame that. But what people often stray into is that third type evaluation, which is just generally telling us that our department isn't very good. And that's probably not particularly appropriate feedback for us to be receiving, but it's helpful for it to be labeled as such. Um, and there might be something kind of golden in there in terms of what they've experienced in other departments, things that work really well. So I think it's helpful to kind of try to have a mindset about what sort of feedback is coming towards you. And if you're able to ask the person what it is and explain those kind of three types of what they're going to provide. I suspect most of it's going to be in the coaching department, identification of things that didn't really work particularly well and opportunities for improvement. Um, but yeah, that's going to be that's going to be key to deciding how and where you move on from this conversation. And it's interesting you mentioned evaluation because I think to to some extent there's always going to be an element of evaluation because otherwise the the conversation would have been triggered. And actually, in order to develop some coaching, as we've always said, there has to be some sort of standardization. But if that balance is wrong, or if it's exclusively evaluation, as I've I've had a couple of times, um, very interesting feedback, which is entirely evaluation and entirely not positive, no coaching at all. Um, But the problem with the evaluation when you're listening to this and you're receiving it is that that's what triggers wrong spotting is that as soon as you hear something around evaluation, you know, you know, you didn't see this patient in three hours. Oh, well, this person, you know, you don't understand how busy we are. Da, 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 da. Here's my excuses. And I'm not listening to any of the other things that you said. And we did actually miss something horrible. You know, you've got to, you've got to, from your mindset, just park those to one side and listen, as you said, for the golden nuggets. And there could be, and there often is some really important information in there that could make things better for, for everybody, really. And I think a lot of this conversation is going to be around really trying to facilitate as much delineation 
of facts and emotions and needs and tasks. So exactly that giraffe framework that we use when we want to guide someone through a behavioral change conversation. So we've got a whole uh, blog post on giraffe language, but I really like that structure. And so trying to maybe take somebody through, so tell me the facts of what happened on the shift. Tell me the emotions. Why Why is this so important to you? What was it? What were you feeling at the time? And then what were the needs that you think the patient had, that you had as a member of staff, that the department had, or that you saw somebody else and you felt that they had? And then what are the things that you think we need to change? I think that's a nice structure for taking that coaching conversation and having maybe a little bit of evaluation but giving it a structure so that you're not just getting uh, a general complaining about everybody and everything and all the tiny things that happened the giraffe technique if people haven't um, seen that or aren't familiar with it i strongly recommend you go and have a look at it. it's one of the most important and useful things that um, natalie's ever taught me and she's taught me a lot over the years it's one of the ones that i use on a weekly basis shall we say and the most important thing i think in giraffe um uh, language and giraffe techniques for giving um, feedback is the difference between facts and emotions. And as you're listening to people, or as you're talking to people, depends on regardless of which side of this conversation you're on, is differentiating between those two things. These are the facts. The facts are this happened, and the emotions. And this makes me happy, sad, um, scared, um, whatever differentiating those two is an incredibly powerful tool and if you go away from this um, podcast today and you go and listen to people give feedback and it's not working the number of times when you just sit back and you listen and that's because you're just mixing up the facts and the emotions and it just goes round and round in circles it's very unclear what's happening um and uh, yeah fantastic things please go and have a look at that blog post and um some of the other work that we've done on that and i'd be interested to hear your perspective on this but in my experience experience when people bring a, a stressful situation like like the one that's described here to me to talk about it's often that they have had an emotional reaction the emotions are a big thing and that's really what they a lot of what they talk about but the the key to having them feel some resolution at the end of it is getting out the facts and understanding how those facts led to the emotions and what the needs were that weren't being met. So really delineating all of those things and talking through them separately can just allow us that little bit of processing time that we as, you know, we're, we're smart people, but we sometimes just need a little bit of help to structure that reflective thought process. And it can be really powerful. And you can listen for cues, can't you? The number of times that conversations start with Dr. X is a complete not positive comment, or the orthopedic surgeons are a bunch of similarly not positive comments and clearly just bouncing that emotion out is very important but it's not helpful it's not useful and it's not actually going to make the world better in any way shape or form. in fact it's going to make it worse so whenever you hear that sort of thing stop pause and maybe redirect people okay so we've got this um idea going on you talk um in the past um how, how, how do you think about sort of the the mechanics of doing this taking notes um talking to people location that kind of thing i think it's sort of if you can get them to tell you early on that if they want to tell you about something really serious and that they can flag that there has been a critical incident that's happened so some something really significant in terms of patient safety or a clinical error then that kind of puts it up a gear for me and I would want possibly to have somebody else there and I'd certainly want to take down some notes, um, which I'd ask for permission, but I'm immediately thinking that I'm not resolving this whole situation in one conversation. There's going to be a series of conversations that happen. Um, so 
So I think if you know going into the conversation that there's going to be something big, then that's how I'm setting things up from the outset. If it's more of a an exploration, then you, I would probably start with the tell me about the shift, tell me what happens, let's start with the facts and then trying to pull out the emotions and the needs and the things that they thought. And I would ask permission to write some notes down for the kind of key points that I'm pulling out and all the time trying to reflect that back to the person say, okay, so there was something around the intubation of this patient, there was some communication breakdown, there were drugs that were drawn up incorrectly, you know, whatever it is, and reflect just to make sure that you've got the the facts and you've got as much of their account down as you possibly can. It's infrequent that there are massive issues that come out because big clinical incidents are rare, but quite often there are other issues that come out in these conversations that really warrant exploration, whether that's relationships between particular staff members or sometimes it's expectations that emergency department staff should do a particular thing or be behaving in a particular way. And I would always try to take the opportunity to explore where those expectations are coming from because that can be really disempowering if you're if you're feeling frustrated which is most often the the emotion that comes out in these conversations the person was frustrated on their shift and that's why they want to talk to somebody about it it's often because they thought something should be happening a particular way and it wasn't and sometimes that's simply because that's not the way that things happen or the way that things are set up to happen in the emergency department rightly or wrongly but that warrants some exploration and being able to put your finger on that as an issue. So there was, you expected that this would happen and it didn't happen that way. Can you tell me why that's so important to you? I think those kind of questions can be really powerful as well and really breaking into what's at the heart of where that discomfort is coming from. So I think that's really very clear. Um, So taking notes, putting those things through, understanding the why so much as the what, I think, is, is is a way of thinking about that. So you're not just understanding that this happened, but why is this become an issue for this person? And where has it come from, I suppose? So you know, the what, the why, and the where. And putting those three things together will give a lot more understanding. And, the, and again, going back to what you said before, there could really be some interesting information in there. And certainly under these circumstances in the past, I wouldn't be particularly proud of this, but sometimes some of my great learning over the years has come through somebody coming along and telling me something that has changed. And I was utterly unaware of this. And actually policies and processes have changed within the organization um, or within the entirety of medicine. There's been a massive randomized control trial, which I've missed, um, which clearly showed that my idea was rubbish or the policy that we got in the department was rubbish. And so there is the potential for good stuff going there. And how do you cope with those um sort of emotive circumstances because you know we talked about this being both a factual experience and also an emotive experience for the people coming along but also for ourselves do you ever find yourself getting defensive or do you ever feel the emotions rising up inside you do you feel that you're not you've not got that clarity of mind because of the feelings inside when people are talking to you about this sort of stuff yeah, definitely. And I think emergency medicine has been my parent specialty, even though I now work in pre-hospital um, and retrieval medicine and in trauma medicine. Emergency medicine will always be my kind of the, the specialty of my heart, I think. Um, and I do feel hugely defensive of the people that I work with because we have such a big team mentality and it's very hard to hear criticism. But as we've said right at the outset, it is really important. It's important that people who feel distressed for whatever reason by our department, by the way that we're working, feel heard, whether or not we agree with them. 
And there's that opportunity for right spotting in something that's uncomfortable to hear. So I think having that, having asked yourself those questions at right at the beginning, am I in the right frame of mind? Have I had breakfast and a nice cup of tea and I've, I've well slept and I'm ready? I haven't just been on the phone to an angry relative trying to talk somebody down over something else that's happened and I'm already feeling under the under the stress and strain of the way that clinical medicine can be sometimes. I think getting yourself into that mindset of I'm here right now, I'm here for this person, but I'm also here to understand more and to help our department improve. And I guess centering on improving patient care, maybe even saying that out loud in the conversation that you're having with that person. Right, right at the beginning, I really want to help you have the most for the conversation. What do you hope will be the outcome? Do you want to hear your thoughts and share your thoughts and reflections? Are you specifically raising an issue? Okay, well, let's just have the, the following conversation. Let's make sure we're trying to keep it focused on improving patient care because that's what we both care about. That's why we're here today. And I think that can be really a useful kind of way to shape the conversation and to keep it on target without it becoming a bit of a he said, she said, you're wrong all the way through. And I guess you might need to even sit down with a colleague afterwards and and have a, a debrief with them. These can be really difficult conversations when you are having your own emotional reaction, but trying to still be there for the other person. I guess if it gets too much, it's not a problem to perhaps call time on the conversation. And I think I said earlier that I, I wouldn't see this, particularly if it's a big conversation, I wouldn't see this necessarily as being a single point in time, one conversation that you have. I would be going into this when big issues around the department are being raised, thinking this is an information gathering and an exploration phase. And then I'm going to have to go away and have some more conversations with other people and then come back to this person. And I might frame that from the outset as well, because that also then gives you an out to say, I really appreciate what you've told me today. And thank you for being so honest and sharing so openly with me. I need to go and find some more information out. Let's meet up again hmm. tomorrow, next week, in a couple of days time and explore some more. And I'll, and I'll, bring you some information back about what's been happening and see how we can take this forward. I think there's an incredibly important point in there that there's one anchor point, isn't there, in any of these conversations, no matter what they're about, is that we can always anchor on, actually, we just want to be safe and do a good job. You know, I don't think any, you're not going to find anybody who's going to disagree with that. So whatever's going on, you'll always find those anchor points. Should we have a, a quick think and, and summarize some of the ideas and the techniques that we've talked about in this session? Because they are things which you and I use all the time, I hope fairly successfully. Um, certainly, I'm a lot more successful at it now than I was when I started my career and started my consultant career, because I think these are elements that you can think about, you can train for, you can get peer review on, and you can get better at. So uh, let's run through um, a couple of ideas. So we talked at the beginning about um, checklists for deciding about whether or not feedback is going to happen at all. You know, the right time, is it needed? Is it the right place? Am I the right person? Um, am I in the right frame of mind? That was the first thing that came out as really important. Um, Natalie, another one from you? Yeah, then, then we talked about trying to set the scene with the registrar. What is it they want out of this conversation? What, what are they hoping is going to be the outcome? And then setting if you think it's going to be some critical incident setting some boundaries about i'm going to write down some notes and also this might not be the only time we meet up i'd like to hear what you have to say and i'm really interested in focusing on patient care with you 
but it's likely that I'm going to take this information on and then go and have to have some more conversations and find some more information and come back to you. Yeah. We also talked about um, use of language, um, in particular using the giraffe technique, which I'm again going to suggest people go and have a read of because it is probably the most useful thing you'll ever do in terms of feedback conversations. Um, So that was a useful thing. Any more? Uh, Yeah, we talked about the different kinds of feedback. So recognizing what we were being given, whether it was appreciation or the opposite of appreciation, um, whether it was coaching or evaluation. And then in the context of that, trying to shift our mindset from wrong spotting to right spotting and always being on the lookout for what are the things that this person is saying that actually are probably fair and true, even though they're hard for us to hear. We also talked about the fact that we're part of this conversation. We always feel sometimes in in many aspects of our role that we're the unemotional one and we're not affected by other factors which might cloud our judgment. But in fact, we are exactly the same as everybody else and therefore subject to those things. We talked about some of the techniques that you could avoid getting down that particular rabbit hole, you know, delaying, to, um, not delaying tactics, but postponing, um, getting somebody to watch what you're doing, thinking about your language and then redirecting the conversation if you feel that it's becoming a bit too emotive. Yeah. And then lastly, remembering that these are hard conversations from both sides. So you might need to go and debrief with somebody afterwards. And I guess if it's about your department, that's a really reasonable thing to do to sit down and present a slightly more structured uh, summary of what the conversation has raised. Yeah. And part of that debrief will inevitably lead you to becoming better and better at this because it is a trainable skill. I think that's been fantastic, Natalie. I, I think We've done so much on feedback over the years. Um, It is something which I always enjoy talking about. The workshops which we've done in the past, hopefully we'll get to do some more now that the world is reopening. Um, But if you ever do get the opportunity to come along to one of our uh, feedback workshops, um, read the blog, listen to the podcast, that would be fantastic. As always, as Ian would say if he was here, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to give us a couple of stars on iTunes, that would also be lovely. Natalie, I know you've been in Australia for years. I haven't seen you in ages apart from on here. Hopefully the world will be opening up and it will be lovely to see you soon. Thank you. It would be lovely to come and visit you. I hope we can do it soon.